I've struggled with being addicted to drugs and alcohol throughout my life. I've used cocaine, crack, meth, heroin, different pills, and just about anything that would alter my state of mind. I feel like I ran from reality and everyday responsibilities. I remember turning my back on my three children and my family. When I couldn't pay for drugs and the lifestyle that I chose to live, I sold my body for money. On top of all that, I've been to prison five times because of drugs, and I have a bad felony record from these poor decisions. After 25 years of abusing drugs and living like I was, I felt that I needed a change in my life because I really felt like I was killing myself slowly. I felt I had a hole inside of me that drugs could no longer fill. I felt depressed, unworthy, and even though people were all around me, I felt lonely. And because I left my children to be raised by my father and my stepmother, I had lots of guilt and shame. I tried substituting one drug for the other to try and make me feel better, thinking that that's what I needed to do. That didn't work. I got a call from my mom, who I haven't seen in 20 years. We set up a time to meet, and I was so anxious that I got high, not knowing how to deal with my nerves. That day, I smoked marijuana that was laced with fentanyl, and I stopped breathing. I ended up in ICU for four days on life support. When I woke up four days later, my family was there praying for me alongside a woman from CCC. They said I was a miracle. Not this girl, I thought. I knew in my heart that God saved my life, and I accept Jesus in my heart that day. I went home on a Friday, and that Sunday morning I went to CCC. I sat there and just cried to God because he saved my life for some reason that I didn't know why. I was grateful and thankful that he did, and that I was with my family again, where I belonged. My story wasn't over. I heard about Celebrate Recovery and a meeting called Courage to Change. I went to that Monday night group. I felt welcomed and people told me that they were glad to see me there. Courage to Change is a faith-based 12-step program based on biblical principles. In these meetings, I heard that we're all broken people trying to get better through Christ Jesus. I knew that I was broken, so I felt definitely I belonged with these people. I partnered with somebody for accountability, and we worked through the 12 steps every week before our meeting. I started working on my thoughts and, the, and my day-to-day -day decisions. God, encouraged to change, gave me what I needed to transform my life and restore the broken relationships with the people I love. I have been clean of drugs for over a year now. I also have my family back in my life. I am restoring relationships with my children. I have a real job after not working for over 10 years, and I have a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks. Hey, everybody, welcome uh, to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, really, really glad you're here. If you're worshiping at Aurora, uh, welcome at Highland Square, at Restoration Chapel, or just tuning in. Uh, glad you've joined us. Before I get into the message, uh, I want to thank you for a couple of things. Uh, one is last weekend. Last weekend was an amazing weekend uh, at the Aurora campus. We're going to start showing some pictures up on the screen, but the Aurora campus, they packed into one service and then had a, a picnic afterwards and had over 400 people gather around and just celebrate what it means to be a part of that campus. Uh, at the Hudson campus, we had summer evening on the lawn uh, we combined with just worship and then baptism, and it was just amazing uh, to be together. So thanks to those of you who came uh, and made that possible. Thanks for coming. Uh, for those of you who missed it, if you missed it at Aurora and you're a part of that campus, don't miss it next time. 
If you're a part of the Hudson campus and you miss summer evening on lawn, don't miss. I promise we will have more food trucks. There are a couple of people that are still waiting for pizza out on the <laughs> soccer field now, so you should go get them. Uh, but thanks. A great, great time together. The second thing I want to thank you for is the Micah 6-8 weekend. I need to give you an update on that. A few weeks ago, we had Abdu Murray speak to us from Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And a Micah 6-8 weekend is about justice and mercy, uh, because that's what the verse says. Uh, he has told you, O oh man, uh, what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And uh, during a Micah 6-8 weekend, we introduce you to a ministry that has to do with justice and mercy. Usually that has to do with people that need justice, that need mercy, because every culture uh, chews certain people up and just spits them out. And that may be people who are poor, people who are oppressed, people who are addicted, people who are uh, orphans, widows, all kinds of people. And we as uh, the church, we, we have always been good at caring for those people. We want to be good at caring for those people. But the other way to impact justice and mercy is to impact the decision makers of a culture. Uh, and that can actually make the culture more just, more merciful. And there is no organization I know that does a better job at that than Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And that's why we partner with them. Uh, and I always give you an update of how much money was given that weekend uh, by you guys so that uh, we can celebrate what we are able to give to Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And you guys gave $217,500 that weekend. So thanks so much. I really, it's a great, great thing. Most of that money will go to uh, the Oxford Center of Christian Apologetics to help train more people to do what they do. All right. If someone comes up to you and they find out you're going to this church and they say to you, what do you do there? What is that church all about? Uh, the easiest way to answer that and probably the best way is to say, uh, we're all about Jesus. Uh, we exist as a church to help people come to know Jesus, not just know about him, but have a relationship with him and then grow in that relationship and then learn to serve him daily. And when we serve him daily, we make the world a better place. And so this week, this is the last week of a three-part series on that second part of our purpose statement, which is growing in our relationship with Jesus. We're calling it Grow 101. The first week, we talked about a different way to live. Last week, a different way to learn. This week, a different way to heal. Every religion in the world is about making people better. Whether it's the five pillars of faith in Islam or the four noble truths of Buddhism, every religion is trying to fix what is broken inside of the human soul. What's interesting is that uh, individuals, kind of taken on a one-to-one -one basis, don't think we're that broken. Go to anybody and they'll say to you, oh, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. And that's their way of saying that my soul is pretty healthy. But when we look at the species as a whole, we realize something is desperately wrong. Whether you're watching the news or whether you're on social media, if you can still stomach social media, right? We look at it around, we just go, something, and it's not always them. It can't always be them. We have divided in our country, in our world, you know, with us versus them, and it's it's not always them. 
I just went to a, a leadership conference where the speaker was talking about dealing with difficult people and having difficult conversations. And she started her presentation by saying, you think, go ahead, just stop right now and think of the difficult person in your life, the difficult person in your family or the difficult person at work. There's always one. And then she, she paused and then she said, if you can't think of that person, guess who you are? And I thought, yeah. The problem's not always then. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's me. So Jesus comes into this world, and he says something really interesting in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Actually, before I get to that, he says uh, a lot of interesting things. I was reading uh, in the Sermon on the Mount earlier this week, and, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon. Everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. It's where the Beatitudes are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. It's where you find uh, go the extra mile. It's where you find judge not, lest ye be judged. And in this one section I was reading about uh, prayer, Jesus says, uh, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then in almost kind of an, an offhanded manner, he says this. He says, because you, you know, if, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you? <laughs> I just think that's funny. I mean, I want you to imagine, when was the last time somebody called you wicked, like to your face? I just think, you know, people are listening to Jesus, and they're going, they're, they're staying with their friends, and they're going, this guy's good. He's good. I like this guy, right? And then he says, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts, you go, did he just call us wicked? Did he call me wicked? I don't know. It just cracked me up. Um, It'd be like me saying to you, if you, being stupid, can understand this sermon, just think how smart people will get it. You know, right, I didn't, I was just trying to get you to understand. Jesus says that in an offhanded way because Jesus is saying the problem's not them, right? The problem's you. It's not them, it's you. That's what he was saying. It's, all right, we pick it up here. Mark chapter 2, uh, this is the calling of Levi, he's also known as Matthew, and it We'll begin in verse, uh, verse 13, and I'll read to verse 17. It says, uh, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is the verse. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Jesus says those who are well don't need a doctor. Jesus likens himself to a doctor who has come to heal. Now, what's interesting is that uh, there are a couple of, already in, by Mark chapter 2, Jesus has healed a couple of people physically. At the end of chapter 1, he heals a leper. And this is wild because the way he heals the leper, the leper comes to him and the leper says, if you are willing you can make me clean. 
If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And then Jesus reaches out and touches him, and that's the way he makes him clean. And that's what's wild, because he reverses the the natural flow. That's not the way you make somebody well. That's the way you make somebody sick. If you have two kids at home and one kid gets the measles, you don't grab your healthy kid and go, go get close to, to your sister because maybe you'll make them healthy. What you'll do is have two kids with measles, right? Because sickness is what is contagious, not health. But Jesus touches this leper and he reverses the flow and it's Jesus' healthiness, Jesus' cleanness that makes that leper clean. He transfers that to the leper. Now, remember that. That's going to be important. Then in chapter 2, at the very beginning of chapter 2, he heals a paralytic. And before he heals the paralytic, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people around go, whoa, whoa, back it up. How can you say his sins are forgiven? You hardly know him. You can only forgive somebody if something that they've done to you. I can't forgive someone who's done something to you, right? Does that make sense? But Jesus goes, oh, no, no, no. Everything he has done is an offense to me. So therefore, I have the power to forgive him. And then Jesus says, uh, which is easier, to forgive someone of their sins or to say, rise, take up your pallet and walk, but so you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And then he gets to this passage that I read. Now, the first two passages don't have anything to do with the sickness of a human soul necessarily. Because, in fact, the leper probably did nothing bad to get leprosy. The paralytic might have done nothing bad to be paralyzed. It wasn't even their fault. But Levi, uh, Levi's not sick physically. Levi's a jerk. And if you're a jerk, it's kind of your fault, right? And that's what people think. You know, that Levi is a tax collector, which this is what it means. It means he was, in the first century, it means he was rich, he was smug, uh, he was uh, dishonest, and he was cruel. And I didn't really think about him being cruel until this week, but he had to be cruel if he was going to be a a good tax collector because you, you were going to get all kinds of sob stories. You're going to get people saying, I'll lose my house. And Levi was used to going, that's not my problem. Give me the money. And then he fills his house with his jerky friends, and Jesus goes there, and everybody says, what are you doing? Why are you going there? And Jesus says, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And I've come to heal those who are sick. As a rule... Uh, I don't like going to a doctor, but I go. And when I go to my doctor, I usually go uh, because something's wrong and I don't know what it is. So I want my doctor to do three things. I want him to tell me what's wrong. That's uh, diagnosis. I want him to tell me how to fix it. Right? That's a treatment or a cure. And I want, to tell, I want him to tell me what chance I have of it actually working. That's a prognosis. So those are my three points for today of what Jesus comes to do. Give us a correct diagnosis, give us a correct treatment or cure, and then give us a prognosis of whether it will work. 
All right? So first, a correct diagnosis. What does a healthy human soul feel like, you think? What is that? If you had a completely healthy human soul, what would it be like? Can you even guess? I mean, we know what it, feel, what it would probably feel like to be completely healthy physically because at some point in our lives we probably felt that, where you had no aches and pains, where you slept like a, you know, like a log and you woke up and everything felt good, right? I, I remember I went to an orthopedic surgeon when I was uh, in my 30s, and he said to me, uh, he said, uh, Mr. Coffey, you are a chronic knee abuser. I didn't know that was a thing. And I... Uh, I said, what do you mean? He said, you think because you've played sport all your life, you think your knee is supposed to feel like that. It's not. Your knee is not good. And I said, okay. Right? Do we know what it feels like to be healthy spiritually? Uh, in Galatians, I think Paul the Apostle gives us an idea when he tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit, he describes it with nine words. He says, love, joy. Peace, patience, goodness. I think goodness is underrated. Can you imagine what it would be, be like to be filled with goodness? Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the nine things. A healthy soul feels like that 100% all the time, like just full, like oozing out love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all the time. I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, a couple of weeks ago. And he talks about Adam and Eve when they were first in the garden. We don't know how long they lived in that perfect state, but they were perfectly healthy in their souls. Right? Perfectly healthy. And they were, they were in this relationship with God, and every day they woke up and they felt just oozing out of them love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness faithfulness, right? And then something happened. And this is what happened. This is uh, Genesis chapter 2. This is the warning that God gave. It says, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So they eat the fruit, but they didn't die, right? Not physically, right? It wasn't like poisoned fruit where they ate it, and they went, ah, 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 and they dropped over. So what happened? When God said, when you eat of it, you will surely die, something happened to their souls. This is one of the big differences between Christianity and all other religions, by the way. Every other religion will say that you are sick spiritually, but you can get better. And, and it's like a doctor who prescribes, who says, oh, you need to eat a little bit better, you need to get a little more exercise, lose a little weight, That's, that'll make you healthy. Right? That's what you need to follow the five pillars of faith. You need to do the four noble truths. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, like, puts on a stethoscope and puts it to your soul and then takes off the stethoscope and says, got some bad news. You're dead. Right? You're not, like, really sick. You're dead. That's what, and this is, this is why he says that. You were created, human beings were created to be dependent beings. Right? You're, you're not independent. What I mean by that is that even physically, physically you're not 
independent. Spiritually, you weren't created to be independent. Uh, you can't manufacture food inside of you. You have to get that from outside and put it in you. You have to eat, you have to drink, you have to, you have to breathe. That means you're dependent on something outside of you. Same thing spiritually. In order to get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, you have to latch on. And, and the reason Adam and Eve had it is they were, they were connected to God in relationship. And then they ate of the fruit and they, and they tore away from God. And so they no longer had the source. And so then immediately they turn away and they begin to look for something that will give them love or joy, or even for a second, or peace for a second, right? And, they, and we latch on to that and we try to pull out of that. And that made me start thinking about uh, a particular word. So I looked it up. It's the word parasite. And uh, uh, the, the definition of a parasite is a parasite is an organism that lives on or in a host and gets its food at the expense of a host. You want to know why your children are your life? You want to know why success is so important? Do you want to know why what other people think of you is so important? Do you want to know why you're so desperate? Why you don't have love, joy, peace, patience? You know why? Because you lost the one that you were made to be connected to. And now you're trying to find spiritual food from things that aren't made to give you spiritual food. Jesus walks into the home of Levi with all those people there. And he says, do you even know what's wrong with you? Do you even know why your relationships are all falling apart? Do you even know why your life is full of so much anxiety and anger and pain? Do you even know? And the bad news is there isn't a thing you can do about it, not you, because you're dead. But I can do something. And that brings me to the correct treatment, right, the, the cure. Uh, as a sport, I don't like golf. And I figured out why. Uh, I've, I loved athletics my whole life. And the, uh, the success, the moderate success I had in athletics was not due to my talent. Uh, it was due to my effort. Uh, I always felt like there might be people that were more talented than I was, but nobody was going to try harder than I was going to try. And when I play golf, I, try, <laughs> I have tried to do the same thing, right? So when I am playing poor golf, I bear down and I try harder. And those of you who are golfers know that doesn't work, right? That, and to me, that's what every other religion says to me. Every other religion says, you're not doing very well. Listen, just grip it and rip it. Try a little harder. Swing a little harder. And maybe that'll work. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, oh, no, 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 no. You can't try harder. That won't work. It'll never work. You've got to come to me. Go back to the leper. Okay, the leper comes to Jesus. Let me ask you this. If you had leprosy, how many things would you try? Before you go to Jesus, you try everything. That leper probably tried every ointment that had ever worked for anybody. And when nothing else worked, he goes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and says, I'm willing. I will make you clean. And the difference is, instead of trying to make himself healthy, he got his health from Jesus. This is the way Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Grace. Oh, I was sitting with a guy the other night, and I was trying to describe Christianity to him and why I love Christianity, and I just told him grace is the most amazing thing the world has ever seen. If I could take grace and I could fill little cups of grace and get it to everybody in the world, do you know what it would do? Do you know how it would change people? It's the only thing powerful enough to make your soul come alive. And, and in order to ever get grace, you have to agree with the diagnosis. Otherwise, you'll, you'll never go there. Because grace is tough to swallow for some reason. And I've used this illustration before, but you know, when I was young, I, I got a van stuck in my backyard when we were living in Florida because Florida's just made of sand, pretty much, and I didn't sod my backyard. And so I got this van stuck, and I couldn't get it out, and I was just working it by myself, and I was trying to stick stuff under the tires, and I was rocking it back and forth. I was doing everything I knew how to do, and I was sweating, and I'd been working for like an hour, and my neighbor started watching me, and then my neighbor yelled over to me, and he said, hey, Joe, need some help? And I said, no thanks. I got it. You know why? Because I couldn't bring myself to say, if you are willing, you can help me. But my neighbor came over and he pulled me out. Do you, do you know what would happen to your soul if grace really comes into you? It changes everything about you. Right? And that's what, you know, and that. And the whole movement of Jesus reaching out, you, you, you go to Jesus, the way you get grace, you go to Jesus and say, if you're willing, you're the one who can make me healthy. You're the one who make, can make me clean. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's that whole movement. Jesus says, I will take your sickness on me and I will give you my health. And if you choose to do that, that brings me to the last thing, which is the prognosis. I'm going to give you both the long-term and short-term prognosis that comes from the Bible. The long-term prognosis for somebody who has taken grace from Jesus, who has gone to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Very good. Right? Your long-term prognosis is really, really, what do you really want? What do you want in life? What have you ever wanted out of life? My, my father has given me several Bibles throughout my lifetime. Every single Bible he's given me, he's written the same verse in. It's Psalm 1611, and this is what it says. You make, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> that means, it means all, your body is failing, and someday your body will completely fail. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have connected your life to Jesus through grace, that means the moment your body fails at that exact same moment, you will be for the very first time completely and utterly connected to the source of joy, of goodness, of life, of peace. And it will be so overwhelming to you that you will feel like you have died and gone to heaven. That was a joke. It was a really good joke. Because you have. 
right? That's the long-term prognosis for all of us. Would you rather have a healthy body or a healthy soul? Hands down, a healthy soul. And Jesus comes and says, I can give you a healthy soul if you would just ask. And then a short-term prognosis? Oh, man. I always think um, Jesus over and over again tells us, the closer you get to me, the more life you'll have. And he uses all kinds of different illustrations. He'll say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the, I am the, the source of living water. If you're thirsty, come to me. And this is what I want you to, to get. Um, if you try to go at Christianity in order to be uh, whole, in order to be healed, if you think that you're going to try to try to just try harder, that's not the way it works. It's never the way it works. It's not the way that you come alive spiritually, and it's not the way you get healthy spiritually. The way you get healthy spiritually is to always go back to Jesus, to go back to what Jesus does for you. So when you start to get judgmental, you know, <clears throat> because I got my van stuck in my backyard, and that has you know, been with me all these years. Whenever I'm driving down the road and I see somebody who's gotten stuck in mud or something like that, I never look at them and go, what, what a moron, right? Because I go, no, no, I know what that feels like. That was me. That is me, right? That, so it makes me want to stop and help them. That's what Christianity, if you start to look at people who are broken and you go, oh, that's them, Oh, I can't stand them. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten your own brokenness. Every time you start to get judgmental, what you need to go back, you need to go, wait, wait, wait. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's politics, whatever. You start to get judgmental, you need to go back and say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you begin to lose love or joy or peace, or patience, what you need to do is remember and go back to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I forgot again. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Will you make me clean? All right. So we want to be a church where you come to know Jesus, I mean, really know him. We want to be a church where you really grow in your relationship with him. And the only way to do that is to keep going back to him and remind yourself of what he did for you because the only way you ever get healthy spiritually is if he makes you healthy because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But he makes you alive. And his health becomes your health and your sickness becomes his sickness because he's Jesus and you were made for him. And he came for you. So, we want to be that kind of church where you come to know, grow, and serve Jesus. A different way to live, a different way to learn, a different way to heal. Transformed. 2018. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you. <clears throat> And we are so grateful, grateful that you uh, changed the actual flow 
of the way uh, sickness works and the way healing works. And you come to us and you allow us to turn to you and say, if you are willing, you can make us whole and you touch us. And by touching us, your health becomes our health. And our sickness becomes your sickness. Thank you. I pray that you'll help us to remember. Always remember. And I pray that as we remember, we will grow in our relationship with you and learn to love other people better. And I pray that you will fill us with healthy souls that are full of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control as we wait for the day when we will finally be fully and completely reconnected to the God who made us to be with him. Thank you. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.